Hey everyone, and welcome to a perpetual feast here on the Circe Institute Podcast Network. I'm David Kern, a producer here at the Circe Podcast Network. And before we kick it over to the show with Wes Callahan and Andrew Kern, I just need to say a quick word from our sponsor. Roman Roads Media is a publisher of classical Christian curriculum designed for homeschoolers and homeschool co-ops. And they're back this year with a giveaway for Circe Podcast listeners. Each episode of Perpetual Feast, they're going to be giving away one of the 16 units from Wes Callahan's Old Western Culture Series, a high school video course that guides you through the great books of Western Civ. Complete with workbooks, discussion, questions, and readers, Wes Callahan draws from decades of teaching experience as he tells the story of Western civilization, integrating history, literature, theology, politics, philosophy, and so much more. Here's how to enter this giveaway. When this episode is posted on our Facebook page, on the Cersei Facebook page, leave a comment saying which unit of the Old Western Culture you would choose if you win. One of the comments will be drawn at random three days after the episode is posted. To browse the available titles in the Old Western Culture series, please visit www.romanroadsmedia.com. So thanks to our good friends over at Roman Roads Media for sponsoring this season of A Perpetual Feast, uh, especially with Wes Callahan being one of the co-stars of this show. We are really honored to continue partnering with Roman Roads and with Wes Callahan to make great content for you. We hope you really enjoy this season. Uh, So without further ado, I'll kick it over to Andrew Kern and Wes Callahan and their ongoing conversation of the works of Homer. Enjoy. So he spoke, and the Trojans were possessed from head to foot by grief. Uncontrollable, unendurable. For Sarpedon had been their city's prop, though a foreigner, since numerous troops came with him, and he himself was a champion warrior. They made straight for the Danaeans, fiercely their leader Hector enraged for Sarpedon's sake. The Achaeans were urged on by the shaggy heart of Patroclus, Minoitios' son. First he addressed both Iases, already hot for the fray. You two needs must be keen to defend yourselves, as brave as you were in time past among fighters, or even braver, the man who first got beyond the wall of the Achaeans, Sarpedon, is lying there dead. Let's grab him, disfigure his corpse, strip the battle gear from his shoulders with the ruthless bronze dispatch any comrade of his who tries to defend him. So he spoke, and they themselves were raging to attack. Andrew. Oh, hi, Wes. Hi. I didn't mean to sneak in on you like this, but I sense that you're reading from the Iliad, and I would guess it's book 16 where Sarpedon, the famous hero, dies. Am I right? You are. You are right. I was reading about he just died, and um, and then Patroclus and Aias the Greater and Aias the Lesser both come into the the fray. And I was thinking how right there in that context, four heroes are all piled up into one quick, um, or is it four? Uh, five heroes are piled up mm. into one big moment, which Edgar. brings, of course, echoes of our last class. Session. Yeah. <laughs> classic. <laughs> it was kind of classic. I, uh, I think we were talking about heroes then, weren't we? And you're right. We were, and and to me, the most interesting fact that came out w- would be would be un- unnameable because there were too many. 
But one kind of trivial fact that came out was how Odysseus is only called a hero once in the entire Odyssey. Mm. I mentioned that I read that in Eva Brand, and then and then while I while between sessions I was looking at the Odyssey, uh, the, Eva Brand's book again, and she goes on to point out that while Odysseus is only called a hero once. Telemachus is called a hero by Menelaus repeatedly in book four. That And Telemachus, of course, is Odysseus's son. Now, we're in the Iliad, but that struck me as, as really an interesting fact about the word hero. So in what I just read, the word hero didn't pop up, but clearly we're talking about Sarpedon, the prop of his people. Um, uh, Patroclus comes forward. He's a hero. The Aeses are heroes. Um, Hector is soon to be in, in, right. involved. and. You know, the, the heroes are having, they're, they're all gathering together in, in book 16, which is, which is I think, a, a really, I want to just mention something that maybe we can pick up later. But book 16 is, is the beginning of the third section of the Iliad, where, where Odysseus, sorry, Achilles and Zeus um, in, re-engage in, in the battle. They, 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 they move the plot forward very aggressively in book one, ver- book nine, and, ver- and book 16. Mm-hmm. So we're in the middle of that, and Achilles is about to rise. Mm. Yeah. Um, but we'll do, for now, we'll just hold that. But the, the, but the point is that this is all about heroes, and we should renew that discussion, perhaps. We got a lot into translation in the last session, and, and I guess the question still comes up, what is a hero? So let me throw that out at you again. You dodged it last session. What's a hero, Wes? Come on. Give me a straight answer. A nice, simple, straight answer that I can put in my file and file away. Yeah, well, I'm going to dodge it again. Sorry. Because oh, the, reason, the reason... The reason... <laughs> they don't call me Polytropos for nothing. Oh, wait. They don't call me Polytropos. <laughs> the, reason, the reason we got distracted from identifying heroes is because we asked the question, how do you know what hero means? And we got into talking about, about studying the text and concordances and you know, and, and, and scholarliness and so on. Um, but but uh, in, order to, in order to identify what hero is, we have to say, uh, are, are you talking about what hero means to us now? And we would, well, no, we're talking, what does hero mean to Homer? And so the question still stands, how do we find that out? And how do we know what Homer meant? And of course, the obvious answer is to read Homer. Um, and uh, you, you raised an, a really interesting point when you uh, observed that, <clears throat> first, that Odysseus is only called hero once in the Odyssey, and yet Telemachus' son is called hero multiple times in just in book four of the Odyssey. But here, in book 16 of the Iliad, there's a bunch of guys who are clearly heroes, but are not called heroes. The word hero doesn't show up uh, in the text, so far as I can see. Uh, so um, we could uh, perhaps uh, relatively safely conclude from that that Homer doesn't have to use the word hero to explain what a hero is, that there's other ways of getting at the, getting at the term, right? Um, it's making sense so far. In other words, yeah. uh, a hero is not just a hero when Homer uses the word, uh, you know, heros uh, or perhaps aner, which means a great man, a heroic man, or something. Um, but there's, you know, there, but there's, but there's, the, there's the descriptions like this one when these four or five great men are are brought together, and and the greatest of the men, Achilles, is about to come into the story. Um, uh, we can we can we can deduce what Homer means by hero, and then kind of work our way toward an answer to your question. What does he mean by hero? Um, and Okay, but here's a complication to that question, what Homer means. Um, in the Odyssey, if my memory serves I rely, correctly... I rely uh, on you to bring up complications. 
<laughs> Athena calls the suitors at Odysseus's palace who are about to be killed. He calls them, she calls them Greek heroes or you know, Cain heroes. She calls she calls them heroes. And and they have done nothing. And and I'm wondering, I'm wondering, is the word hero a title? I mean, in other words, is it sort of like we would say um, a gentleman from the Middle, middle Ages or, or Lord, Lady, something like that? Could the word just simply be at its basis? Could it be a title and then something is built on that title through the actual deeds of people? Well, uh, in other words, let me try this. What could it, could it be? For example, we call somebody a gentleman today very, very... Um, meaninglessly. Yeah. But let's let's say we use the word gentleman as a title, okay? Now the idea it would seem to me is if you are called a gentleman, then you should act like a gentleman. You should do gentlemanly deeds. Is the word hero correspondingly a title and then there are heroic deeds that would manifest your heroness. Uh, well, um, in, in the first place, I don't. This is. I don't think this is a complication. This is just doing what we knew we had to do: reading Homer and see what Homer does. And ta-da! Homer calls the evil suitors heroes. So, okay, that introduces a new angle, uh, and this abuses us of our modern ideas uh, of hero. Uh, and and secondly, I think your 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 analogy of gentleman is is terrific. Um, we don't necessarily. We still use the term gentleman when we say ladies and gentlemen when we're introducing a speech, uh, but we commonly, uh, uh, many people, it's fading, but many people say sir when they're talking to a strange man. Um, <clears throat> sir, uh -huh. can you a question? Uh -huh. And sir is, uh, is almost exactly identical to gentleman. And C.S. Lewis talks about just this word in, in his, uh, he has uh, not only a book called Studies in Words, uh, but many more informal studies in words where he talks about the change in words from medieval times to now and how we misunderstand if we don't realize what the medieval connotation was and we import our modern meanings. And gentle and gentleman is one of those. Uh, and it's, I, I think it's precisely as, you, as you've described. I shouldn't be too surprised because you know you're C.S. Lewis. Uh, but I think, I think that for you to, 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 to describe a hero um, uh, as a, a title is pr probably exactly on point. Uh, hmm. That's a that's a title. It's the name of a class of person, and then the deeds are the sort of deeds we should expect from that person, though he may not exhibit them. Even if he doesn't, he still has the title, but he's not really uh, bringing out the essence of heroness in his in his activities. Is that where you were going? Because if it is, I think you're exactly right. I don't know that I was going somewhere, except in the sense of I was taking my first step and seeing where it would go, and then and then. Um, I'm happy with where you've led us. Yeah, I think that that all of that makes a lot of sense to me. I'm going to try it as we go through as we go through the Iliad, and then later on the Odyssey. I'm going to I'm going to keep using in my head. I'm going to I'm going to think of the word hero, okay, as fundamentally a title like gentleman. But I'm also going to watch to see does this play out that heroes are expected to do something different. Right. That's a, that's and, a, and an example would be... That's a good hypothesis. Go ahead. Well, that's a good hypothesis. And I was simply going to suggest another analogy. Um, uh, a thing, uh, words like husband. Uh, we can say uh, we, we, uh, a man is a husband because he went through the marriage ceremony and he publicly put a ring on a woman's finger and made some vows. Uh, but some husbands act very badly toward their wives and some act very well toward the wives. Technically, they're both husbands. But if we see a man who's abusing his wife, who's a jerk, who's mistreating her, we could say legitimately, he's no true husband or he's no husband. And someone would say, you mean there's no marriage certificate? We would say, no, of course there is. But he's not acting the way a husband should. 
Yeah. And that seems like another good analogy to, to this idea of hero as a title. I like that. I like that. No true husband. Yeah, because because to be truly something is not to have the appearance of something or the name of something, but to be to manifest yeah. that thing yeah. in your in your conduct. So let's watch then. Let's see. Because even even when we look at that opening that we read at the beginning of the last session, the very beginning of the Iliad, which is where you jumped on the word, as I recall, um, we read souls of heroes, their selves left as carrion for dogs and all birds of prey. So these are valiant souls that, that go down to Hades, um, souls of heroes. So here you do have the, the word valiant, although one wonders if Homer's not sort of generalizing. Um, but, but, how many, but in what sense were they heroes? Are they heroes because they were valiant or are they heroes because they were titled people? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm interested to know uh, what, what you what you said just a moment ago about um, uh, you know he he might be generalizing. We do the same thing when we talk about um, uh, well well when we talk about soldiers. You know, soldiers come back from Afghanistan. And we welcome home the brave boys in uniform. We generalize because just because they're soldiers, because they're in the military, because they're in uniform, we generalize and say the brave boys. Although there might be cowards among them, but the, but their title is soldier. Their title is you know, a private or sergeant or colonel or whatever. Now, because of that, we generalize because that kind of man should be a certain way. And so we legitimately generalize and say, you know, the brave boys overseas, although some of them might be, you know, shaking in their sleeping bags at night, um, which would not be wrong. But And we do it out of respect for, for, for soldiery. And, and really, I think that that's, I think it's up to the soldiers among themselves to filter out the cowards, not us. I mean, I'm not even there. Good yeah, grief. yeah. Yeah. So it may, it may be, and, and I'm, I'm running ahead a little bit here because I like your idea of treating this as a hypothesis that we'll keep in mind and watch. If we see if we see exceptions or apparently exceptions, we'll have to decide whether it destroys the hypothesis or or simply uh, you know or, or simply uh, broadens it. But um, it, it may be that if this, if this is the case, and, and and we'll have to test it by doing what you were saying. Um, but if this is the case, then it might be something like what Lewis said about uh, about gentlemen that over time uh, we attach. We attach ourselves, culture attaches itself more to what the essence should be and less to the title. We still use the title. Um, but um, hmm. uh, So that might be one reason why the modern conception of hero is less of a title and more about what a hero should be. So if a, you know, if a soldier turns out to be a coward in battle, we would never dream of calling him a hero. Um, but we would call a hero some man who had never worn a uniform at all and had no title, but jumped in front of the speeding seven-up truck to save a baby in a carriage that got away from the mother. Yeah, but then there's also the literary side to all this. In other words, uh, well, in movies you have superheroes who aren't real people, and and you have you have in story every story has a protagonist. But how often does the teacher say, or or how often does the book say, look who's the hero of the story? As yes. though you know the person, the main, the main character, is the hero. Well, is that is that derived from Homer, or or where does Probably that come from? Probably not, um, because if if a uh, if a teacher in class said to the students, as you read this book, look for the who the real hero is, uh, a student thinking more Homerically might say, um, uh, I don't see anybody with the title hero. Um, I don't see anybody with you know uh -huh. uh, the, because because in Homer the heroes as as you point out since the suitors are called heroes a hero doesn't necessarily imply uh, high moral status absolutely yeah before before you you um 
you said something like uh, uh, I, I uh, what it, the evil, the evil suitor. I used the phrase evil suitors, and you said that was right on. And one of the points that I thought immediately to to come back with was, it's not about good or evil. Whether a person's a hero isn't about whether he's good or evil. It, it would seem to me to add to my hypothesis, and I'm probably leaning. I'm probably leaning more than I want to admit on Eva Brand here from that chapter, but I'm not remembering exact words. Um, but I, 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 I suspect that what a hero is, apart from the title, is is achievement. Whether whether it's a good or evil achievement, it's an achievement. So he goes out to battle and he kills people. He does he does the warrior deeds, right? Because because if I, again looking at Brand. I believe she said that nobody in the Iliad or the Odyssey is ever called a heroine, right? That that that's not part of the the Homeric worldview that that a woman would do something heroic, on, because be, not because he necessarily thinks less of women, and I think he doesn't from the Odyssey especially, but because the field of battle is the field for men. Now, of course, we run into Camilla and the Aeneid and so on, and maybe Virgil calls her a hero. I don't know. But in the Iliad and the Odyssey, it would be very odd to to uh, to hear a woman called a hero, and and none of them are called heroines. So so I come back again to it being a title, and then there's certain deeds that this kind of person is, or certain achievements that this kind of person is supposed to attain. Certain character, to a sense, in a sense, you could say. Here, here's a thought that is we started with that passage about Sarpedon and there's that earlier passage you probably remember in I think it's book 12 or 13 where Sarpedon and another guy are talking about you know do they, should they withdraw from battle and he says no we shouldn't do that because let's face it we get to go to the banquets and eat the good food and drink the best wine because when it comes time for battle we're the ones who lead we're the ones who go first into battle a very different mindset, perhaps, than, than nowadays. Well, no, no I, I like what you're saying about the achievements thing, but a couple things have occurred to me. Okay. Uh, one, let me ask you. Two, let me ask you two questions, Andrew. Um, one is, uh, does this uh, does this work with the suitors? Uh, what what achievements have they have have they demonstrated? Right. That's why I say I think there's a use of it that's just titular. And then there's another use of it that's more, there, there's a use for appearance and there's a use of being. And the person okay. who, let's say a person who fulfills his heroic role is a person who has an achievement on the battlefield. He might lose, he might die, but he still is a, he still is, I think, is still a hero. He has fulfilled his function as a hero. Then there's other people who are, call, let's call them false heroes. I wonder now that you mentioned that. I wonder what the Homeric word is there for evil. I wonder if maybe Athena doesn't call them something along the lines of false. Well, I, um, yeah, that's that, that's good. And we could we could also throw in Telemachus. He's too young to have any achievements. He hasn't had any yet. That's part of the part of his struggle in the Odyssey. Right. So it might be. But here again, this doesn't undermine uh, the hypothesis of hero being a title uh, that must be fulfilled in actuality. Uh, there are there are people who are potential heroes and there are, there are people who are never potential heroes they're not bad people penelope is you know has no potential for being a hero but she's a great woman but telemachus uh, is called a hero because he has the potential even though he hasn't actually fulfilled mm -hmm. it yet the suitors have the potential for heroes but they've done badly not well in their pursuit of achievements and their in their in their exercise of power and so on 
So uh, as a title, it's something we expect of a person. Uh, they have potential for something. We expect them to fulfill it, but they could they could succeed or fail according to their, their will and intent. We might even be able to go so far as to say that, that the, the suitors, the precise failure on their part is that they didn't strive to do anything heroic. They they tried to live off other people's heroism, which is the exact opposite of a hero, right? You know, like our age yeah, that just nobody, wants everybody else to do it. Nobody expects <laughs> the millennial problem. Nobody, well, nobody expects Penelope. Nobody expects Penelope to be a hero, so she's not faulted for not being one. But the suitors are can be legitimately expected to be a hero, and we can fault them for not for not acting like heroes because yes. they should be. So there are certain classes of people, and this is where the title comes in. There, there are certain, or, or certain, certain people anyway, who should be, uh, who have the expectation and the potential and aren't, and then they're moral failures um, if they don't f fulfill it. So they can be called heroes, but the suitors are moral failures. They're evil suitors because they don't act the way a suitor is, should be expected to. So, so then, I have a question. <laughs> um. <laughs> So then is Achilles the hero, if we want to put it that way? Is he the hero of the Iliad? Well, uh, from a modern perspective, yes, because we think of hero as the main guy, the most important figure, the guy who saves the day. Uh, but from a Hom Homeric perspective, uh, we wouldn't say he's the hero. That, wouldn't, that simply makes sense. There's a bunch of heroes. From a Homeric perspective, we might say he's the protagonist or the most important guy. But hero, in Homer's time, give it, at least trying to think within our hypothesis, uh, it's, it simply would be meaningless to say Achilles is the hero because that implies there are no other heroes. He's one of the heroes. He's the, he's well, the not necessarily. Figure. But what, yeah. what I'm saying is to, to say that Achilles is the hero of the Iliad is to use a modern meaning, which is it's okay. Nothing wrong with that. We just have to recognize that's what we're doing. That, that's not a meaning that's apparent in Homer. The hero means the main figure of a story. Well, I, okay, yes. Th that's not really how I meant the question, but I, but I clumsily phrased it so that it would be inevitable that it, a smart person would take it that way. Let me, let me, <laughs> let me rephrase that question. Is the Iliad written in such a way that of all the heroes in the Iliad, the hero of heroes is Achilles? Uh, I'll go with yes. Okay, so then there's for lack of a better so thing both in this modern yeah. sense of him being the protagonist of the story, and in in something maybe more Homeric, in the sense of him being the supreme hero, the superhero. <laughs> we 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 see well, we see him as the hero. I, I I wouldn't agree to the second, um, but I would agree to the first. I I wouldn't. Um, I think. Well, no, okay, I, I will agree to the second, but not because of the Iliad. Uh, he's seen by, by the Greeks in general as the greatest of the heroes because he's the greatest warrior. So he fulfills hero-ness more perfectly than the others. Um, but that's not. Be, but he's not presented as the greatest of the heroes in the Iliad. He just is the greatest of the heroes in general uh, in the Why Iliad. Why do you say that? Uh, because because the the backstory of Achilles is simply that he's the greatest warrior. That's the expectation uh, in in the Greek in the Greek minds. Understood. He's the, great, he's the greatest of the warriors, um, and so in the Iliad. But why not the great, in the Iliad? Um, because because in the Iliad he doesn't fulfill. Well, no. Let me let me back up. Uh, in the Iliad, he is uh, he's the greatest hero just because that's the backstory. 
But the Iliad doesn't make him the greatest hero. The story of the Iliad makes him the protagonist, the central figure, the figure that the story is about and turns on. Uh, but to say that makes him the hero is to import a modern term. So he's not the hero of the story because of the story. He's the hero. He he, he is the um, uh, he's the central figure in the story uh, because of the way the story is is told. He is a hero. Even, All right, I'm gonna even the hero because of the backstory. We have we have about two and a half minutes left, and and I'm going to use those two and a half minutes to challenge you on this. <laughs> okay. And the way the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to do in two, watch this in two minutes. I'm going to give a huge overview of the whole Iliad. Okay. <laughs> you can do it. In books one, the book the Iliad is divided into three sections, and I'm not saying this is the only way, but one way to divide them is three sections, and I think Homer did. In each section, you see Achilles initiate action. And then you see at the end of each section, you see Zeus um, aroused to accomplish his will. The first section is books one and eight, one through eight, rather. The second section is nine through 15. And the third section is 16 through 24. In, in, in each section, Achilles initiates action and then sort of goes beyond what he's supposed to do and has to get brought in back into line. In book one, he has the fight with Agamemnon and withdraws from battle. And in book and book nine, he re-enters, but only partially. He he is that's the the embassy to Achilles is in book nine, and they call him back into battle. He doesn't go, but by the end of it, he sends Patroclus. In book fifteen, uh, sorry, I'll go to sixteen. In book sixteen, Achilles does re-enter the battle because Patroclus gets killed. In book 24, then, the will of Zeus is accomplished, and it is done by redisciplining or resubjecting Achilles to his will, um, among other things. But at the end of each of those sections, Zeus has to um, retake control of things in book 8, 15, and 24. Now, what I'm getting at is I think Achilles is the hero because... In one nine and sixteen, he does something. Well, in one and in one and nine, he does something that appears anti-heroic, but in sixteen, he initiates the ultimate heroism. He he achieves the the ultimate accomplishment, which is fundamentally, which is to destroy the enemy's hero and most of their army. And so, I do think he's he's in the Homeric sense the supreme hero, even in the Iliad, but only because of the third section. Now, I offer that as we run out of time, because in, in our next episode, what I want to suggest is that we explore this hypothesis by looking at the three sections and maybe even look at one section at a time, because I want to see, A, if you agree with my division there, and I'm going to ascribe credit for that division where it belongs soon, probably next episode. But I want to see if you agree with that that division. And two, I want to see if you if I can persuade you that given that structure, Achilles is in fact the the hero of heroes and even in the Iliad. Even in the Iliad where he withdraws from battle. Well, okay. I look forward to that because I will tell you then in our next episode whether I agree with your division. Uh, and I'll tell you whether I think that you've demonstrated sufficiently that he is the hero by the story. Um, uh, but uh, but I'll, I'll, uh, my, my last comment will be this, uh, and I don't know if this will complicate what you're saying. It's just an anecdote that I've uh, found amusing. Uh, J.T. Shepard was a classicist in England in the 1930s, and he gave a speech at, the, at, a, at a field day at a public school there 
uh, where he talked about the Iliad. And afterwards, someone was impressed by, uh, by, his, uh, um, by his speech and said, could I see your notes, Professor Shepard? And Professor Shepard pats his pocket and says, yeah, I've got them here somewhere. And he pulls out a little slip of paper, and on it were written the words, Zeus, Agamemnon, Zeus. <laughs> that was, those were his notes for his talk about the structure of the Iliad. <laughs> it wasn't Achilles, <laughs> Zeus, Achilles, Zeus, Agamemnon, Zeus. Uh, interesting. And I've always wondered, and I don't know what he meant by that. Um, but, uh, and, and I don't mean for this to challenge or undermine or support or anything. It just threw out the anecdote because I, th I thought it was cool. But he clearly had something in interesting. involving Agamemnon, yeah. and, and Achilles' name didn't show up in the notes. <laughs> anyway, well, so yeah. I can understand that because. Because another contention could be that Zeus was the hero. This is the way I'm going to respond to that, and then we'll pick it up. I would have, if I had to find my notes, it would go like this. Achilles, Zeus, Achilles, Zeus, Achilles, Zeus. Right, right. Or maybe to make it more simple, Achilles, Zeus, three. <laughs> Achilles, Zeus, <laughs> times three. Given, given the way you described yes. your, your view of the division of the book, I, I understand that, yeah. And I think it's laid out in the prologue where the first line is sing of the wrath of Zeus, I mean of Achilles sing, and the will of Zeus was moving, was accomplished. Yeah. Well, I hate ending these conversations, <laughs> but I'm going to because you need to go anyway. So, Wes, thank you. And may the Lord remember you in his kingdom. Andrew, my friend, thank you. It's always a pleasure, very much a pleasure to talk with you. Very illuminating to me. And may God bless you also. Mm -hmm.